when I sought to figure out what it was that was making me so sick, it actually at the same time healed me from all my pain. And so I, to say I'm a believer now that food is powerful medicine, food is powerful medicine. Welcome back to the Venturing Out Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Fontaine, and I will be co-hosted by Erica Ginevan. Over the next couple of weeks, we will sit down with Denisha Blount, founder of Oh My Juice, and throughout our episodes together, we will hear about Denisha's purpose for starting Oh My Juice, what her experience has been doing so, and advice she has for other entrepreneurs. We are excited to have Denisha with us. Thanks, Denisha. We're Again, excited to have you here today and so thankful that you could be a part of venturing out and we can't wait to learn, learn from you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So why don't we start by uh, just you telling us about who you are, give us some context as to who Denisha is. So I grew up in Gunnison, Colorado. I've been called crunchy a lot. <laughs> Hold on. I want to pause real quick. What does crunchy mean? Um, I'm really into natural. Okay. <laughs> I'm um, into natural foods, but it goes a little bit further than that. I'm into natural medicine. I'm, yeah. I just, I like nature. I'm, I'm not anti anything. I just my own personal preference is to be as close to nature as possible. (laughs) So uh, that extends to my food, which ultimately will lead into, oh my, oh my juice. But um, yes, I've been called crunchy a lot, but I grew up in Gunnison, Colorado. And I actually came to Baylor um, in 1984. I came to Baylor to run track here and um, graduated with a degree in education. So I became a teacher and I was a teacher on and off for about 17 years. Um, I say on and off, just I married when I was at Baylor and um, with my husband, we have four children and we've moved 25 times. So um, it's hard to maintain a teaching career, moving Mm -hmm. that often. And so I taught on, off and on and um, ultimately just kind of ended up following some of my own passions. Mm-hmm. Was teaching one of your original passions? Um, I, think I'm a, I think I'm a really good teacher. I'm not sure it's my passion. Um, I love kids. I love being around kids. Um, I'm not sure that I would call teaching necessarily my passion. I love to learn. I think learning ultimately is my passion. I like to learn about all different kinds of things. And I like to impart that onto other people. You know, I think learning new things is exciting. It makes me a little bit of a geek, I'm sure. But, um, But yeah, I, you know, I think that's what I found most exciting about teaching was that I got to teach I got to share information with somebody that they might not know. And um, to me, that's exciting. And that resonates really well with what we do too. Um, is because yes. like we, we value education a lot. 
And I think through education, like we can serve others um, more so maybe helping others be better than they were yesterday. Yes. And I think it feeds well into entrepreneurship as well, because as an entrepreneur, you really have to have a desire to learn and grow on a daily basis, not just, oh, let me figure this out. But um, you really have to to develop and grow and and learn more each and every day. Absolutely. I completely agree. And it's funny you say that because you're in such good company. Dylan's biggest passion is education. So that's awesome. I'm a nerd too. It's okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Birds of a feather, right? Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of education, you know, we have so many Baylor students who key into our podcast and really try to learn from the speakers we bring on. Um, so I'm just curious, during your time at Baylor, I know you mentioned track. Was there anything else that you were involved in that you kind of keyed into some of those passions you have and um you know what did your time at Baylor look like um so athletics in and of itself takes up an extraordinary amount of time but I was I was also married I also had a baby when I was at Baylor and so um outside of those things were limited but um it was for me a time of, and it goes back to my desire to learn and grow. We were, you know, I was into nerdy things like book clubs and, and um, we would have, we would have these little, I guess you could call them study groups, but, you know, I had my little circle of friends that we would we would get together and we would discuss things. I know it sounds really, really kind of stupid sometimes, but, but um, for me, you know, there's, there's this old adage that says knowledge is power. Well, knowledge is power only if you're able to apply knowledge. Knowledge in and of itself is not power. I mean, you can have all, I, I'm the, you can ask anybody in my family. I am the queen of unnecessary information. I mean, I, I, can, I can give you all sorts of unnecessary information. I can give you definitions of words that are meaningless in my world. But um, knowledge is not power unless it's applied. And so for me, it was it was applicable, you know, I desired to have good grades. I, I desired to imp help impart my love of learning, I guess, to some of my friends. Some of my friends didn't have that same kind of love of learning that I do. I love books. I read incessantly. I still try to, it's just a little harder now, but, um, and with a child, my deepest desire was for my children to be educated. And so, I mean, as, as a pregnant mom, I'm reading to my children. And as soon as my baby was born, I was reading and, and um, teaching and doing all kinds of weird stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. that but, that's admirable though. Um, Cause not many people take that approach. I think I think because everything's so accessible to us now, we're quick to dismiss actually retaining, like learning and retaining information. I would not let my 
students use the internet. I made them go to the library and actually research. Mm -hmm. And um, so much it's knowledge can be obtained so easily today. And yet, um, sometimes it's far more rewarding if you have to work for it, you know, if you really have to delve in deep and, and, you know, I had a, I had a professor at Baylor when I was in school there. I remember him to this day, I don't think he's still alive, but I won't mention his name anyway, but he was my um, Bible professor. And I had this crazy final and I called my dad. So I come by this naturally. So I called my dad and I'm asking my dad all these Bible questions. And he, he said, Denisha, he goes, there is this great resource. And I'm like, oh, yes. He goes, you can find all your answers there. And I'm like, yes, I'm so excited. What is it? The library. <laughs> I'm like, oh, forget it. <laughs> it's not worth it. He's like, you can find anything you want in the library. So. That's funny. Well, I bet I bet you're a great trivia night partner. <laughs> I am actually. <laughs> well, well, that's like I said, very admirable and encouraging to hear that you you value education so much and you value education of others because um, yes. you don't find that a lot. And I'm sure you've done that uh, partly. I mean, one of the reasons for creating Oh My Juice. I'm sure that's one of the components, or at least a driving factor for you. Um, but before we move to o OMJ, I do want to talk about teaching a little more because uh, what's important too and what we try to talk about on this podcast is you're not going to be doing one thing after or that you studied for under, in undergrad all your life. Right. I mean, career, yeah. like career shifts happen. And today they happen frequently. Yep. And um, I think you know, I went to school for education, um, but for part of that time, I was mom. Yeah. For part of that, you know, part of my post-education career, um, I, I was a secretary. <laughs> mm -hmm. I didn't know what I wanted to do, and we were moving around frequently, and so it's hard to get a teaching job midstream, so I just, I went into a chiropractic office, and I was I was the office manager there and just learning more about health in general and how chiropractic feeds into that. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was an interesting time. It wasn't something that I wanted to do long-term, but it was interesting and I learned a lot from it. Um, but then I went into teaching and ultimately um, I was in a classroom for uh, five or six years and then I had a child, one, one of my own children with severe learning disabilities. And then I encountered other parents who had children with severe learning disabilities. And one thing that I noticed about my own child was at that time, children with learning disabilities were considered, I don't know if they were considered unteachable but they were very much pigeonholed into a path. And for my child, I was told, you know, she, they might not ever graduate from high school, a career path may, may be a career path into like a vocational path. I'm okay with vocational path, 
if that's what my child wants or if that's what the child that I'm working with wants. I'm okay with a vocational path. I'm fine with that. But I want what my child wants. And, you know, when my child was in junior high, um, it was maybe you should really stop and think because your child's probably not going to graduate from high school, much less ever go to college. And my response was over my dead body. If my child wants that, that's what my child's going to get. You know, if you want to, if you want to think that about your child, then by all means, think that about your child, but you're really limiting. And so for me, it took on a whole new meaning. Education took on a whole new meaning because I had to figure out how my child learned and how I could create the, the pathway to her, her future, whatever that might be. And um, I started studying, I, I did graduate work at um, Hardin-Simmons University out in Abilene. Mm -hmm. And it was specifically teaching children with different learning disabilities how to, not only how to function in school, but how to actually achieve in school. And the very first person I met was an oral surgeon who had been diagnosed with a, a severe learning disability when he was younger and told that he would never amount to anything. And so for me, that was important and it took on a whole new meaning of education to be able to do that, not only for my child, but for somebody else. And so um, my very first entrepreneur opportunity, I opened a learning center. And I, I opened a learning center to teach children with learning disabilities. Wow. And my child actually graduated from high school and graduated from college as well. And now is, has a flourishing career. And, uh, you know, that's possible for everybody if that's what they choose. And so education's important all the way through, you know, no matter how old you are in life, education continues to be important, not just as a college student, but ev sometimes even more important as you become a parent and, mm -hmm. and you start a career. So as you were evaluating early on in your career, um, whether you could teach while continue moving and being a full-time mom and learning that you have a child who is diagnosed with severe learning disabilities. How did that feel? Um, a lot of times frustrating. Uh, but as you get older, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of times when I was young, particularly, when I just wanted to throw up my hands and go, I, I quit. I can't do it. I don't know what to do. You know, I'm kind of at the end of my rope. I don't have the money to do it, whatever the case may be. Um, but ultimately, as you grow and, and mature, you have to, you, you have to find a way to do things. Mm -hmm. You have to find your fortitude. You have to find your perseverance. You have to find those things. And a lot of times that comes through education. And, you know, when people come up against a, a dead end somewhere, you have to find a way around it. And it's one thing if it's you personally, 
uh, there's a lot of things I've just kind of thrown my hands up in life and whatever, you know, mm -hmm. but when it's your child, it takes on a whole new meaning and you can't give up. And I, I honestly think that's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. It taught me that I, I just couldn't give up no matter what I couldn't give up. And my life, my child's life, not her physical life, but her life, her, you know, her future plans or goals in life, whatever, actually depended upon my perseverance, my ability to figure things out for her because nobody in her school was making it easy for her. Mm -hmm. And so I had to figure it out. And um, ultimately we did and, and it was, you know, to this day, she's my child, probably with the most perseverance. She's, yeah. she's truly a, a role model for me a lot of times. So that's incredible. Um, first career, um, <clears throat> admirable mom, awesome mom. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, and you I know, do it. and I know a lot of parents would do that. A yeah, lot of absolutely. parents would do that for their kids. Um, but that's tough. And that's hard. And for you to do that with other children and a combination of moving, I can't imagine what you went through. There are people who look at life as, and besides being crunchy, I'm always called optimistic <laughs> because um, there's a lot of people who view life and it's not that they're pessimists. It's just that they're realists. They, they look at life like, well, you know, this could happen. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I always, I know that can happen, but I choose not to believe that it's going to happen. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I just, I have an innate ability to just look past the possibilities that could happen. I, I do know, but for me, um, and for those of you who are into the Enneagram, I am a solid Enneagram three. So a lot of my, I view my success through the eyes of others. It's how other people view my success. So in my mind, there's no room for failure. It just, it can't happen. And so um, I've never viewed it as like something I've overcome or something that I've I've, I've never really viewed it that way. It's just, it's really just part of who I am. I have to do it. It's just, it's, it's not an option for me. And for me, I look at every single solitary thing that comes through my life as an adventure. I love adventure. I, and so for me, it's easier just to look at it and say, oh, it's an adventure. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is a problem, but it's an adventure. So it makes it more fun to tackle an adventure than it does just tackle a problem. So for right. me, life is an adventure. <laughs> I love that. Three wing what? What's your wing? Um, so I've, I've been told that I'm three with a, with a five wing, but I don't know. I'm just kind of Whenever people talk to me about the Enneagram, I am solidly a three. 
<laughs> I've got a couple of wings, but I'm solidly a, a three. I am just so entrenched in three. It's like I don't know what I don't know what that wing. I could I have I have um, characteristics of a few wings, but I am solidly three. <laughs> I, I I ask because I'm a three wing two. So, I'm impressed uh, that you know your Enneagram, Dylan. Oh, That's I've fine. I've had to take it so many times. <laughs> so see, I told you we birds of a feather we're (laughs) I admire threes a lot but I am a I also don't have any wings um but I am a solid seven all the way and everything that a seven describes is exactly Exactly hitting the nail on the head which is so funny but yeah I'm with you Denisha I don't have any wings either I'm just a just a seven and you're just Just a three embrace it I am just a three well yep so like we have unwrapped such a, a large package um, for your past, and I think we've got more than enough context for who, uh, who you are and your story. Like your incredible, um, incredible story, and so I think we've picked up on a lot of items that will lead into OMJ, and because you've shared a lot of things that you've learned along the way, and so just tell us. I mean. Let's jump into it. What is the origin story of OMJ? Like, what is it? When did it start? Who'd you start it with? And why? Like, take us back to the beginning. Okay. So OMJ started as a thought and an idea um, about 10, 10 years ago, 10, maybe 11 years ago. And it was born more out of um, kind of tragedy triumph um I lived in Peachtree City Georgia and I had a really good friend who was way more crunchy than me (laughs) and oh my gosh she was I thought she was weird that's saying a lot (laughs) you know she walks around the she walks around in bare feet so she can collect the electromagnetic magnetic forces of the earth whatever you know it's it's weird it's weird. (laughs) I love her though. And, um, so I had had health issues. I had always thought I was super healthy. You know, I was always an athlete. Um, I, I always thought I was super healthy. I, you know, I didn't eat a lot of sugar, didn't drink a lot of soft drinks. And so, you know, in my mind that constituted health. At the same time, I'm eating a lot of processed foods. Um, And I was going down this path where I was sick every single solitary night. And I didn't know what was happening to me. I was, I was like, how is this possible? I can't, you know, I can't be sick. I'm not overweight. I'm not all those things that we get in our brain as being unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not what it's about. And every single solitary night I was sick and I just couldn't, it affected my life. I, I had to be careful about where I went and what I did. And, and, um, ultimately, um, you know, you're my good friends. If you hear my, if you hear my Costa Rica story, so I guess I'll have a, I don't know, a thousand new friends or whatever, but so, so, my husband and I were headed to Costa Rica. We stopped at um, a restaurant in in um, the airport, and I had 
baked chicken, mashed potatoes, and broccoli. Sounds great. Sounds great. An hour later, I was on this plane to Costa Rica. And by the time we landed, I'll tell you, I'll spare you all the gory details. But by the time we landed, they had to come on with hazmat suits to sanitize the plane. I was so very sick. And I just, I was embarrassed. It's a plane full of people. All I could think of was, oh, I thank you, Lord, that I will never see these people again in my life. And my beautiful husband was covering me up with blankets. He goes, you don't stink, baby. You don't stink. (laughs) (laughs) And I was, oh my goodness, it was terrible. And so when we landed in Costa Rica, about two hours later, I felt great. Not after whatever it is that makes me sick, after it leaves my body, I'm no longer sick. It's weird. And so for the next five, six days, however long we were there, we just went down to the local farmer's market right down the street from where we were staying. We'd get fresh fruits and vegetables. And I didn't even have a stomach ache the whole time we were in Costa Rica. And so I looked at my husband, I said, it has to be my food. It has to be, it has to be what's been making me sick. And so I made a drastic change in my life when I came back to the States I decided that I would go raw vegan and I was raw vegan for two years and I never got sick again. And so it's not that I knew exactly what was making me sick, but it's, it was the fact that I knew at that moment, food was medicine and it absolutely could change your life. Mm -hmm. And so my crunchy friend who had been talking to me about being a vegan for years. And I was like, well, yeah, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, she had been talking to me about how food could heal my body. And I just didn't believe her, but at that time it was kind of a perfect storm in my life. I had been in a car accident and I had just had back surgery and I was in terrible pain. But when I, when I sought to figure out what it was that was making me so sick, it actually at the same time healed me from all my pain. And so I, to say I'm a believer now that food is powerful medicine, food is powerful medicine. But at, at the same time that was happening in my life, my, my beautiful crunchy friend, her daughter um, got sick with cancer and her daughter ultimately died. And um, so it's not that I believe that food can heal everything, um, but food can definitely have an impact in your life. And so for me, it was just, it was, it, it was life-changing and I will never go back to what I was before, but we go back to education. I just dived in and I had to figure out, first of all, what was making me sick. And I discovered that I have a pretty severe allergy to MSG. And MSG is in a lot of foods. It's in a lot of marinades. It's in a lot of seasonings. You know, it's in a lot of preservatives. And so almost everything that I was eating had some form of MSG in it. And I was getting sick every single solitary day. And um, so now I'm... I'm very, very careful about what I eat. 
I only eat foods that I know all the ingredients in. And so, you know, I eat at a, a limited number of restaurants. They're restaurants that have not made me ever sick. And so um, I'm always really, really careful now about what I what I eat. And so that's kind of where OM, the idea of OMJ was born. My friend and I had talked about opening a juice bar, but after her daughter died, it was it was just kind of out the window. She obviously she had other things mm -hmm. to think about. And so my husband took a job at Baylor. He he was a sports chaplain here. And when when I came, um, the very first person I met was a girl who worked in the athletic department. Her name's Tierra Barber. And she and I just hit it off. We had the same kind of passion, the same kind of views about food. And, and really, there was nothing in Waco at that time that people would ask me all the time, well, if you, if you get sick, where do you eat? And I'm like, uh, nowhere. I mean, I don't go out to eat. And so if you have some sort of a food allergy, if you have some, something going on, then it's not, it's not that easy to find places where you can eat. Mm -hmm. So um, we started talking about at that time, a juice bar, but I wasn't sure I wanted to commit to something like that. So it was like, oh, let's go to the local farmer's market. We can make juice and go to the local farmer's market. And at that point in time, it was just like, you know, if I choose not to go one day, I, I don't have to go. I can just, yeah, it was more a hobby. Mm -hmm. So it was a hobby we shared and it was a hobby we shared with other people. And um, I was shocked at the amount of feedback, the amount of people who were like, you need to open a juice bar, you need to open a juice bar, you need to open a juice bar. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's a big commitment. <laughs> so when did it turn from a hobby to a full-time job? So we were at, we started in March of 2014 at uh, the, downtown local, the downtown Waco Farmer's Market. And by March the following year, we had already signed a lease, an LOI on a downtown location. And we had already started build out. So about a year, we were doing it for about a year. And, but there was so much demand for healthy food. There was just nothing here, nothing in Waco. We were the very first ones. And how, how did that feel? Is that overwhelming? to be the first and only with such high demand? So I'm not sure overwhelming. I think the idea of having a restaurant is overwhelming. That's mm -hmm. overwhelming. Being the only one is a little bit of a comfort because it's like, well, where are you going to go if you don't like it? Yeah. <laughs> if we make a mistake, where are you going to go? You know, <laughs> um, it's not like that anymore. You know, Waco has become a mecca of places that, and choices. So it changes over the years. But um, the, the idea of working, you know, 15, 16 hours a day was overwhelming, particularly since I hadn't done that in a while. Um, but then, then it just kind of, it's kind of comforting knowing that you're the only one <laughs> for a minute anyway. 
And so did you just start with juice or did you start with other products? Mm, So at the farmer's market, we were just juice. Mm -hmm. And then once we moved into our downtown location, we had decided that we would do smoothies as well, fresh fruit smoothies. And um, somebody came up to me one day and said, are you guys going to sell acai bowls? And at that point in time, I didn't even know what acai was. I had no idea. And so I, I was like, well, I don't know what acai is. So again, you have to learn. So I started researching. I started, and once I started learning about acai, then it was like, well, what are some other things that we can bring to the table that are really beneficial to your health besides acai? And how do we make an acai bowl that is not full of sugar, but that's really, that tastes really good, but is also really, you know, has a lot of health benefits. And so for me, again, my love of learning kind of takes over and it's like, if I'm going to do this, I want to be the best at it. I don't want to have what everybody else has. I want to be the best. And so I started doing some traveling. I started, uh, you know, traveling to places that offered things like young coconut meat and goji berries. And, you know, we started learning about cacao and why cacao was better than chocolate. And, you know, so it's, it's this learning experience at all times. It, it always, for me, it always goes back to that love of learning and I want to be the best, I, I want to have the best health benefits. I want to have the best taste. I want to have the best presentation. And so you have to learn those things. And so for me, it was just um, for, for the first couple of years, it was like this gigantic adventure. It was like, oh, well, let's, let's learn about acai. Let's learn about this. Let's learn about that. And I really wasn't, um, even though we had opened a storefront, I wouldn't say that I was a master at business. I, in fact, I did. I had my friend from Baylor who was a CPA. She was doing my books for me. And I had somebody else, you know, I had other people, kind of a network of people helping me with the business aspect of it. So for the first year or so, it was just like, oh, it's an adventure. I like it, you know, whatever. And then, you know, year two, three, four, then the business aspect starts kicking in and you really discover how I discovered how little I knew about business. I had not been a business major in college. I, I just knew so little about business. So once again, I had to go back to my roots and I had to really start teaching myself how to run a business and how to make it profitable, how, you know, how do you control your labor costs? How do you control your, your food costs? How do you control all of these things Mm -hmm. while still making a really good product and, and, you know, putting a really good product out there and it's tough. And we've Mm -hmm. made, we've made thousands of mistakes. So, you know, for all the people that I've mentored, you know, they, they know my thousands of mistakes and I try to prevent them from making them. So part of the adventure. It's part of the adventure. (laughs) 
Thanks for sticking around. If you haven't subscribed to our podcast yet, go ahead and do so and leave a review. That's really the only way that we know how we're doing. Uh, Tell us what you like, what we could do better. And we just want to say thanks again to Denisha for joining us. Next episode, we'll discuss her expansion of OMJ and the rest of the experiences she's had. Thanks again.